Hello, and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. On today's episode, we feature John H. from Orange County, California. John attended his first AA meeting in 1957. He remembers being one of the youngest people in the room, and the speaker that night was wearing a suit and talking about losing a business. John couldn't relate. He left and was drinking for the next eight years, but got sober in 1965 in Anaheim and has been sober ever since. Why don't we let John tell his story? I was born in the Bronx, New York City, growing up uh, when I started school. Uh, folks moved around quite a bit, and I, I've been to 36 different elementary schools, and uh, I hated school with a passion and kind of being moved around a lot. And uh, I was always a new kid on the block, and I was always a new kid in class, and there's one class I'll never forget as long as I live. And uh, it was a music class, and I didn't know it my first day in that school, and uh, it was like like 42 kids to a class and there was eight classes in a big auditorium and uh, they played some kind of music on a record. I never heard it before. And this big heavy set teacher way down in the front picked on me from way in the back there. And I don't know how she seen me, but she made me stand up in front of all those kids and wanted to know the name of that song. And I didn't know it. And she just put me down like you wouldn't believe. I almost pissed my pants. From that point on, I always hated heavy set women. That was like an authority figure. Uh, I assume that's where I got it from. So growing up, I was put in a stupid class where you don't get promoted because I guess I was a little slow. And uh, I think when when I got to AA, through those experiences, unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, this is when I could identify with the grave emotional mental disorders. I couldn't identify as an alcoholic, but I was picking up uh-huh. on the grave emotional mental disorders. I said, that's, that's what I've got somehow because I used alcohol to do for me what I couldn't do on my own. I was always a scared kid and uh, uh, when I started drinking uh, with my friends because an Italian friend they had these barrels down in his cellar they had vermouth and Dago Red and stuff and we started drinking that stuff reading comic books. So how old were you John when you started started that? uh, Probably about 11 or 12. Okay. One time I got drunk I went on an aunt's farm uh, upstate in uh, Austerlitz, New York. And uh, she wasn't my aunt, but I I thought she was because growing up, we had to call her Aunt Emma. You know, there's two guys that was making hard cider out of these apples. And uh, they let me have a a baseball glove because I had my eye on that, that they had laying around. And they... I guess they were having fun with me, feeding me that apple cider, and I was getting kind of dizzy, and, and, and my my aunt uh, seen me in a field walking around, and uh, she seen I was drunk, and she just bawled the hell out of those guys. So from that point on, uh, growing up, uh, I seen what alcohol how it made me feel. It took my fears away, my inadequacies away. It gave me the courage to ask a girl to dance. As I was like a wallflower. I didn't dare ask them to dance because they might refuse. These are things that I've learned in AA of what it was that I was reacting to. The reason why I was afraid to ask a girl to dance, especially when I'm sober, is because if they refused, then I would think everybody would think there's something wrong with me. The reason for that, I believe, is because I always felt like there was something wrong with me, but I never could pinpoint what it was. But yeah. alcohol took it all away. That's why I drank whenever I got the chance. They gave me an opportunity to get out of school. I had to go to a, a, a Bronx Vocational High School. Uh, I went there about nine months, and I finally got out of there and started working because it was an all-boys school because I wasn't smart enough to go to a co-ed school. Mm-hmm. And I resented that because I wanted to go where the girls were, you know. So after uh, I, I got me a, a part-time job uh, delivering flowers down into Harlem and uh, different places to just give me enough, you mean like a dime, a nickel. To, to go downtown and nickel to get back in case I got robbed or something there. That way I didn't have no money and the flowers were already paid and taken care of. I just mm-hmm. was like a delivery boy. And then I worked, worked for a few, uh, like Woolworths and Krusky's and a few places and started meeting girls and stuff and having girlfriends and trying to prove myself, you know. And, and things just never worked out because they always left me for some reason or other or for somebody else. So I always felt mm-hmm. rejection and uh, the fears that I had, you know, uh, asking anything and didn't know how to act in front of them. Uh, but when I was drinking, it didn't matter, you know. I, I could do what I want, say what I want, and didn't give a damn what they left me 
me or not. And because uh, when I when I like somebody, I fall in love. I really fall in love for some reason. And uh, so as I was going along, I got out of school. And you know, as a kid, and you're trying to feel like a man, and you don't feel like a man because of the fears. Uh, I figure, well, I'll try to get in the army, you know, and uh, that'll make me feel like a man, you know. And uh, so this was in 1947, and uh, my folks made me wait till I was 17 and a half, something like that to get into mm-hmm. the service. And uh, my brother was already in the Navy. I was getting in the Army because I didn't like the water. I, I spent three years in the Army over in Japan in occupation forces. That's where I really learned good about sex and boozing it up and everything. And I got busted because from a PFC down to a private. <laughs> Because uh, the MPs would bring me back to camp, uh, see me walking the streets over there in Japan, and, and the guard at the gate would turn me in, you know. Uh, my MPs brought me to the gate. They didn't give me no, you know, write me up or nothing, but the guard at the gate would. And then they'd put me on hard labor to have to coal, carry coal from one end of the camp to the other for hard labor. The, the, the colonel was going to court-martial me, but the captain already put me on hard labor, so he couldn't do nothing. Because he used to have a wooden fence on one end of the camp where they had this stacks of coal, and uh, there was like a couple of loose boards that would knock them out and, and get out of camp, go get some more booze, bring it back, and stick it in the coal bucket as I was walking to the other end of the camp. And uh, So, that's, so far, you, your story sounds a lot like mine so far, as far as alcohol goes, because it doesn't uh, sound like you ever really had any normal drinking, did you? No, not that I... I thought it was normal, but, you know, because... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everybody was drinking that I hung with, sure. yeah. you know, and if you didn't drink, yeah, I figured you were an oddball, you know, I didn't trust you, Yeah, exactly. you know, because you wasn't like the rest of us, you know, because yeah. uh, it's, it's just like the weirdos, you know, that they'd, they'd be in camp, they wouldn't drink, and they'd write letters at home and everything else <laughs> like that, and they yeah. figured they'd have bedheads and not having no fun, you know, and I was having fun because, you know, I'm, when I drank, I felt free, you know, and I could do what I want, and, uh, you know, and the consequence that you have to pay is just part of the game, you know? So well, I relate to a lot of that because I, I grew up um, also moving around as an army brat and I was always the new kid in school. Um, uh-huh. I, and I also found alcohol at an early age and it took away all of my fears and insecurities, it seemed anyway, yeah. and made it possible for me to, to, you know, ask a girl out or whatever. But eventually... Um, it kind of turned on me, but yeah. um, so you were you were over in Japan, and so you were your drinking was continuing to get bad, and you were having problems. Um, yeah, I I ended up in the psych ward in the Tokyo General Hospital with a padded cell with a straitjacket, and the thing that scared me when they told me I was in the hospital. For some reason, that scared me. I thought maybe I was in jail someplace because I was in that straitjacket. And when I woke up, my eyes, I could see just bars and these eyes looking down at me. And when they come in and took the straitjacket off because they seen I was awake, my arms were loaded with needle shots on both arms. I could hardly move them. And, and they said, that, you know, I almost didn't pull through, you know, when they were, whatever they were doing to get me that point. And the only thing I remember is I was drinking one day in a club that we had. And uh, when I was drinking, I, I, I fell on the ground and I tried to get up and I couldn't get up because the ground was moving all around. And I kept falling down. Then the next thing I remember, I'm, I'm in the Tokyo General Hospital there. And they were going to court-martial me because that was on my own time. See, I was like a security guard there for a while. And it was a publication outfit where we sent publications out to different outfits. When I when I got busted, uh, I didn't have any clothes on. And they gave me a pair of pajamas to go back to Yokohama because this was up in Tokyo when I was at the hospital. And so I had to ride the train in a pair of pajamas and all the Japanese were looking at me and stuff, and I felt weird because I didn't have no booze in me now. I didn't know how to handle it. So, so by the time I got back to camp, you know, then they put me on hard labor and stuff. But a circular had come out because it was getting time for me to either get out of the service or re-enlist, and I wanted to re-enlist. And the circular came out if I had more than six months of uh Six months of service. Uh, I'm I'm getting this balled up, I guess, because it's mm, kind of right. hazy. Uh, a circular had come out. Uh, I forget what it was. An AR uh, Army regulation or SR special regulation. I forget which uh-huh. one. But if you have, uh, I forget it was over six months. Uh, 
I think two over two years of service and you was only a private or something, you couldn't re enlist. Okay. And that got me mad because they wanted me to go into the, they said I can go into the reserves or something, but I couldn't mm-hmm. release. And I said, no, I, if you ain't going to let me stay in, I'm just going to get out. Yeah. And uh, because I was I was really enjoying myself over there, you know, being drunk all the time and stuff. <laughs> I know. I thought it was kind of interesting because it sounded like you were having a hard time in the service. They put you on hard labor and everything, but you still wanted to re-enlist. Yeah, because uh, I guess it must have been the discipline that I liked and without realizing it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, okay. Because uh, I was never smart enough to figure that out. And a lot of that stuff at that time never entered my mind. You know, it's just like I always figured I could stop drinking whenever I wanted to. But it just never entered my mind that I wanted to, you know. Uh, there's times when I wanted to cut down. But then I always overdid it. It's just like when I'm in a bar with my friends and we're drinking and 11 o'clock comes around, they got to go home because they got work the next day and I'm just getting started. Exactly. They have party poopers, you know, and they get some booze and go over somebody's house and spend the rest of the night and then go to work drunk the next day. And a lot of times you you got covered up, you know, it ride you around and stuff because I worked for the city at the time. and uh, So they help you out just like you help them out when they get half loaded or something and you yeah. cover up a little, you know. So did you leave the service just straight out of Japan? Did you come back to the state? Yeah, because I, I see in six months I could have made the PFC back, but I didn't have six months left. So that's why I couldn't reenlist. They, they tried to do what they could because they said I was a good soldier. I didn't know, just didn't know when to come back home to the camp. When I got discharged, I think it was out in Seattle someplace. And uh, then I had to take the bus all the way back to New York because it was cheaper because uh, I remember it was fifty-seven dollars and fifty-seven cents because uh, they both come out even that way. That, that's how yeah. I remember the price of the bus. I got hung up in a hotel room waiting for some girl, and uh, I was smart enough at the time to put my wallet underneath the rug by the bedpost uh, in case anybody tries to steal anything. And sure enough. I don't remember no girl because I was passed out. But when I get up the next day, and yeah, I got my wallet okay. But when I reached in my Ike jacket, uh, my bus ticket was gone. So I had to pay for another one. And I complained at the hotel room, but they don't know nothing. They covered themselves up. So that was in Seattle, Washington. And so, so you went back to New York ultimately. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, let's see. When I got back there, uh, I was. Before I went overseas, I I was at Fort Meade, Maryland, and uh, after basic training in uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey, and I wanted to go overseas, so I put in for that, and then they let me go overseas. When I come back, I don't quite remember how that worked out. We were on a bus with a bunch of GIs and going back east from Seattle, and it it was having snowstorms. And they had 30 seats on the bus, and I had the 31st seat. I had it where the doors open, that's where I had to sit. And then we had to push the bus out of the snow from getting stuck all the time. And uh, so by the time I got back to New York, I got discharged and everything out here. They put the mm-hmm. ruptured duck on you and stuff, mm-hmm. and mustering out and stuff. So, so I was drinking along the way, and uh, we had a lot of booze on the bus, and we were just having a ball because everybody's discharged. And, and when I got ba- back east, I, I don't remember going any camp because I was discharged but I was going home and it's kind of blurry to me about that I don't it's I don't quite remember just what happened now yeah but uh, I met the folks they had a car because I was giving them a, a allotment check uh-huh. so they paid for an old car and uh, had it for me when I got back there so okay uh, so how long did you stay in New York after you got out of the army well, I'm used to drinking now. The guys were hanging around the blocks, and they wasn't drinking. And, you know, I, I just got tired of hanging around with them because I, I, I want to move around now. Cause, uh, so I, I went upstate New York, mm-hmm. and that, that's where I seen this girl, and I fell in love like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. But she was only 15, mm-hmm. and I was, what, 21? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and so her sister worked up in the mountain. And uh, so I I went up to the mountain and got a job. And uh, it's called Lake Mohonk, up, upstate New York. When, when I met her, I started uh, taking her and her sister and her husband and stuff. And we'd all get together and get down and 
have a little drinking party and stuff, and, you know, and then I'd take them all back up in the mountains. A lot of times it was foggy, and I had the car, so the car was always loaded with people. I had a 35 yeah. Dodge, and I'd have to open the door and put my head way down by the ground so I can see where I'm going, you know. And then when they, you had the parking spot, the area where you park, and then the limousine pick you up and takes you two and a half more miles up the mountain. Mm-hmm. unless you walked and a lot of times we'd walk and uh so that that was kind of nice up there I, had, uh, I, I was working on the grounds and and uh, painting a little bit uh, you know the rustic areas and stuff it, it was lake mohonk is what they called the place because it had a lake and everything up there and and uh, they liked my work so they put me in a kitchen i had the title of a second vegetable cook but i didn't know how to cook nothing they mm-hmm. told me to you know how to put stuff in the steamer and stuff and peel potatoes they had a machine they just bounce around until they <laughs> the peelings come off mm-hmm. if you didn't watch what you're doing they got like little marbles <laughs> yeah. you know and because sometimes when i'm feeling pretty good you know i i don't pay attention sometimes and so uh that was okay for a while but then uh I started getting serious with this girl, and and uh, I wanted to marry her, but I didn't have no real job. So they had a, mm-hmm. a job uh, down in Poughkeepsie, uh, and I started working in this factory where they make laundry baskets and stuff. Okay, okay. And it goes all her brothers and uncles and brother-in-laws all worked in the same place. So that girl that you married, is that who you're married to today? No, no. No, okay, that was your first wife? Yeah, and uh, when she left me and kind of my drinking, I was trying to commit suicide and everything else, and I'm a failure at that. I was going to climb over that bridge and, you know, just do myself in. So you're but in I, your 20s I, now, John, at this time, you're about in your 20s? Yeah, I was in my 20s then, because I got out okay. of the service and I was 21. I was six years older than uh, my wife, and she was 15 when I met her, and after two years, we got married. Okay. Let's see, 50, 17 she was when I married her. I, uh, she so now looks, you're getting very... I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt Go ahead, go ahead. Well, now, because you're getting very... Very depressed, suicidal, and I was at that point in my life too, in my twenties. Yeah. Um, because and your drinking obviously is 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 progressing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I didn't feel it was progressing, see, because it never got as bad as when I was in a psycho ward. You see, and I didn't think it was the booze that did that because I heard they had bad stuff over there, and that's what I got a hold of was some bad stuff. That's why I ended up in the hospital, and without me realizing it, I think uh, I was always able to justify whatever situation. Situation I was in or whatever for some reason, but not the booze. Because you know how could how the, could the booze be a problem to me if I'm uh, if it's working for me so good, you know? Because yeah. at that time I wasn't thinking like that, but when I got in AA, I started looking back and seeing, you know. Uh, so what was your what was finally your bottom, John? That my got bottom. You to... Well, I think my bottom started when my wife left me and kind of my drinking, but I was picking it up where she, she met somebody else and this and that. And I used to go to bars trying to find out who it is. I didn't know what he looked like, didn't know his name or nothing. But I was hunting around looking for somebody. I, was, I wanted to kill him, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it was kind of stupid when I look at it now because I didn't know his name or anything. And, <laughs> Uh, I might have known his first name, but I don't remember what it was. But uh, I was looking for somebody to kill him, gonna, <laughs> you know, messing with my wife or something. Because uh, I, I was, I, I remember one time or a couple of times, she gave me an ultimatum: either come home now or we've had it. Mm-hmm. All right. And this one time, I knew she meant it, but I couldn't come home, and mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend that why I couldn't go home because I mm-hmm. knew she meant it that she's going to leave me this time and uh, I could I, I had to finish my my run you know yeah and uh, so and then then when I got back all hell broke loose and shit and uh, so she's going to divorce me and all that jazz and I, I knew she found somebody else then you know but, so is that about when you started going to meetings no 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 this uh, I can't remember the date when it was, mm-hmm. but it was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first AA meeting is after they shipped me out to California to my folks' house because they lived in Anaheim. And I was my folks sent money back there so I can get on a Greyhound bus. Not mm-hmm. a Greyhound bus, but uh, on an airplane to ship me out to California. Okay. And, and uh, after the suicide attempt and stuff because I was really causing a lot of trouble. And, uh, okay. 
So your parents kind of intervened, and I'm sorry, I kind of probably interrupted your story, but your parents intervened because you were having these problems when you were working in Poughkeepsie and you were suicidal, and they had you, they shipped you out to Anaheim? Yeah, because that's where they lived. Oh, your parents lived there at that time. Yeah, in Anaheim. Okay. So uh, they, they sent me money, and my brother in laws took me down to the airport in New York from Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. because they kept their eye on me because they were afraid I'd go back and cause more trouble, you know, trying to get the wife back. And I want my daughter yeah. and all that jazz because I had a daughter from her. And uh, we hit it off good till she was three years old. That's when they got rid of me because I remember they pulled me out of the bar room and I was kneeling on my hands, and my, my knees and, and hands, and looking in my daughter's blue eyes. She was three years old, and I said, mm-hmm. Daddy, Daddy's leaving. He's never coming back because nobody wants me. You know, and I was crying. I seen the big blue eyes. She's just looking at me. She didn't know what was going on, I guess. And uh, that's, that's when they took her away, took me down to the airport, and made sure I got on the plane. And I get out here to California, but on the plane, it was kind of weird because I'd, I'd have tears in my eyes, you know, thinking, you know, geez, my marriage is over, the woman I loved, I'm never going to see her again, and I'm never going to see my daughter. And then the next moment, my emotions changed. I say, boy, I'm free now, and I can drink the way I want, nobody bugging me. And, and then I'd go back into this self-pity kick again, you know, thinking my wife left me, and I'm going to see my daughter or nothing. And then it'd come back again, I'm free, and Come out mm-hmm. here, I can drink the way I want. Okay. But I could never get along with my dad. And they got me a job down in L.A. in the heat treating place. I used to drive with my dad, would take his car one time, would take my car one time. But I'd get drunk all the time. And uh, I was told to leave the keys with the bartenders uh, if I'm too drunk to drive, you know. So this one time, I, I left the car, the keys, but I couldn't remember what bar it was that I left them in. Yeah. And it, it pissed my dad off because... His car wouldn't run, and I didn't have mine. It was at some bar. So he bawled me out, and we had it out and stuff. So I left there, and when I did get the car, I'd, I'd, I'd park in the parking lot where I worked, and I'd sleep there all night and stuff. And the lead man seen me, and he says, okay, you could stay with us for a week or two, and we'll get you a room somewhere up in Monterey Park. And uh, so that worked out all right. But that's when I found out he just wanted a drinking buddy, you know. And uh, it was at this time I was trying to get back into the service because I figured I'd try to get allotment for my daughter. Mm -hmm. That way I'd be able to support her uh, because I kind of felt guilty not being able to support her. Mm -hmm. And if I got in the service, I can get a class E allotment like I did with the folks and not have it for her that I'd be supporting my own kid anyway. But my IQ wasn't high enough. Uh, it was 82 when I first went into the service, and there's, now mm-hmm. it's down in 64. And uh, so uh, when I tried to get back in the service. They they said according according to my urine test and stuff and blood mm-hmm. test, they said you should be still passed out. Wow! And, and so I, the and alcohol I, was just yeah in your cause, system because mm-hmm. I I was drinking for a whole week straight there, and uh, and I I had to stop. So I. I started tapering off so I get down to take the test because it was important to me because that was my one chance I could support my daughter, you know, with being in service. That way I eat food, you know, and stuff, and maybe I could straighten up a little bit and be able to have the allotment going towards my daughter. At least I'd be getting her something. And uh, so nothing ever seemed to work out too good that I've ever tried, but that was the best I could do at the time. They didn't take me into the service and... uh, I tried to get in the Marines, but uh, that, that's when I found out my IQ wasn't high enough. It needed 110. I was way off from that. So, so when when did you start going to AA? And did you did you were you sober from your first meeting, John, or did you start going earlier and then and then try it again later? I I tried two meetings in 1957. Okay, I, I was still out here at the time. Okay. And that's when I lived in Monterey Park, and I was drinking the the wine by the gallons. It was okay. only a dollar sixty four sixty four cents plus tax. Do you remember the meeting in nineteen fifty seven? What what it was like? Uh, it was in Temple City, I believe. I lived in Monterey Park, and there was somebody that because I, I kept saying. I got to stop drinking one of these days. I got to get straight. And somebody said, I know a guy that's in AA. 
if you want to try it. I says, well, anything's better than what I'm doing. So he introduced me to this guy, and the guy took me to this meeting. I guess it was in Temple City. It was like, okay. I, I understand now it was in the park, and it was a big wooden building. And uh, they had this big open room, but they had the AA meetings. Okay. And I remember there was just all old people, and I was in my late 20s. Okay. And uh, it was all old people, and they had canes, and they're shaking. Really? And, and okay. there was one young guy that I remember they were trying to sober him up giving them coffee and stuff. Well, I, w- I was still drunk, uh-huh. but I, I was able to walk around and, and, you know, not bother nobody. And I was able to sit down, but I was watching what's going on. And there was some guy in a suit at the podium. It must have been a speaker meeting talking about some business he lost. And okay. I could have cared less. There he is with a, with a suit on. Right. He has a business he lost. So he's right. already out of my league, you know, and I'm saying, you know, this is AA, this is, uh-huh. you know, what's here that it's going to stop me from drinking, listening to this stuff, you know? And uh, so I didn't fit in there. Okay. And I realized now I wasn't ready to stop anyway. You know, I'm just trying gotcha. to slow down so I'll be able to support my daughter somehow. Because uh-huh. cool. everything I tried never worked. So I, I never went back to AA then because I knew in my head AA didn't work. Right. The, the guy took me there twice, same old thing, same, same right. meeting. And okay. uh, so I figured there's nothing in AA that I want that's going to help me out. Right. You know, I don't remember him talking about drinking and stuff. I just remembered about he's got a suit on and he lost some business. So I couldn't identify with nothing there. And the people were all older than I was. Yeah. And so I left there and started working, you know, odd jobs and stuff to exist. Used to wash myself in a kiddie pool and stuff uh, at night when the cops wasn't around. I'd know how to turn the water on and yeah. get myself showered, you know, and put my clothes on and all. That way I'd lay in the park and they'd dry out in the sun when the sun started coming out. So, John, you must have, because um, I I think you, you finally, you got sober in 1965. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you drank for like eight years after that meeting in 57. So let's talk about your experience in AA from the time you got to that meeting in 1965. Do you remember that, that first meeting? Uh, yes, I do, because uh, I call an operator. I'm, I'm married to this wife now that I have. Okay. Because a lot of stuff happened in between with Boston and everything. And uh, so when I married this wife, uh, I got her pregnant, see. And uh, so after I married her, we moved out here to California because I knew I could make more money. Right. So we got out here and she started working for a donut shop. And I was working for the city of Bryant Park at the time. And uh, I called the operator because I was in a bar this one night. And I should also have been home babysitting because the wife was working. And I just left home and started drinking. And I didn't know I was babysitting, you know. And my mother had to go down and take care of the kids. They tried to get me out of the bar, and I said, I can't. I can't leave. So I got I got to stay here. I felt safe there for some reason. It's like my whole life passed right through me. And I remember those two meetings in 1957 that I went to. But mm-hmm. I didn't know remember where it was at and who to call. So I called the operator. I didn't get a hold of AA for me. And they got somebody to talk to me on the phone. And uh, they mentioned the women's club in Buena Park. And I was familiar with that because I worked for the city. So I knew where it was at. So I, I didn't drink for three days on the hope that I was going to get some help. But now that I didn't have no booze in me for those three days, I didn't have the courage to walk into the meeting. So I asked mm-hmm. my wife if she'd go with me. And she says, okay, because she was about ready to leave me too. And so she went with me, and they gave us something to read, and we kept passing it back and forth to each other because we were both scared, uh-huh. and I didn't know what to expect. And this is when she found Al-Anon was in the next room. Uh-huh. They had this long door. They slide closed. And uh, so after the AA meeting, uh, I really didn't remember much about it, uh, learned too mm-hmm. much. It's just I was getting to know the people. Mm-hmm. And this is when they told my wife that al in the other room, see? Right. Because they were always laughing over there, seemed to have <laughs> fun. And we're in this other room. Everybody's gloomy and gloomy. And, <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, so, and your wife's been in al ever since, too, hasn't she? Yes, same time as uh, a week after me because she made a first Al-Anon meeting the following week in the same place. And she went into the other room because we didn't know anything about Al-Anon or nothing. Then. So we've been going to meetings ever since. And uh, I I didn't know what I was all my life. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I 
I wasn't forced to go to church or nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. And the only time my folks made us go to church, because there was three of us kids at the time, my my other brother came later. Mm-hmm. But at that time, uh, like Easter, my mm-hmm. mother make us go to church because that way she'd get three Easter plants. Because they gave out plants on Easter to the yeah. kids to bring home to their parents. So yeah. my mother got three Easter plants. So every Easter we had to go to church. And uh, I, I resented But you weren't, those, really re- you weren't religious, though. You weren't religious, though. No, I wasn't. Okay. And, uh, okay. and, uh, but when we went to church that day, uh, yeah, the, my brother and sister, because they were a little bit older, they went in their room where they were singing and they had the music and I had to be in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And there I was in class again. And here it's... Sunday, it's my time off, I always figured. Yeah. And I'm in I'm in there learning about some Ezekiah or something like that. Right. I, right. I don't know what the hell it was. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I'm grateful today that I was never forced to have to go to church like yeah. some kids do because that gave me more freedom to stay away from that stuff. But I liked the music and stuff, you know, it sounded right. nice. And uh, I wanted to try to believe like my friends and stuff did, but I, I just never could believe like they did. So tell me this, when you were in AA, when you started out in AA in 1965, was it? Uh, no, it was, it was 1965. Right, in 1965, when you started out, what did AA seem like it was very religious to you at well, that time? I, I was sober for three weeks, and then this God stuff started hitting me. And I said, oh, no, every time I turn around, there's got to be this God stuff. And I started realizing it's a religious movement. Okay. You know, because it has to be because I, I got their book when I got, I was sober 29 days when I got the book. And when I got the book, I started reading it. It's God all the way through the damn thing. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, shit, you know, getting the Boy Scouts, I got to believe in God. <laughs> getting the Demolays, I got to believe in God. I so what uh, happened through the years, I became a liar on kind of this God shit. Right. You see, just to be accepted. Right. And without me realizing it, I had a lot of this hatred and stuff built up inside of me because I had to become a liar on account of that stuff. And when I got to AA, it, it started showing up. From my third week on, I started getting miserable. You know, I figured, geez, people are taking me to different meetings. Everything's nice. Seems like nice people. Yeah, yeah. And and my wife, she was already religious because she's one of them Irish Catholics. You know, she went to parochial schools and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we never had a problem in our home between us on kind of that. Sure. And uh, so as I was going to meetings, I started getting very uncomfortable with the stuff I was hearing on the Scud stuff. And I almost didn't make it. Right. Many times I wanted to run away from AA and kind of Scud stuff. There's some people that come down real heavy on you. Sure. You know, and, and I started getting very defiant. And I used to, uh, by this time, I found the Anaheim Club because there they had meetings every night. and didn't have to wait a week to go to another meeting. The guy was taking me around to different meetings every night. And I couldn't uh-huh. stand him because he just yak, 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 yak about yeah. some kind of shit in AA. And I didn't understand <laughs> it. Yeah. You know, and I'm just trying to stay sober right now. And uh, so I've been called all kinds of names and everything because here I started getting honest because they, right. they told me it's an honest program won't work without it so I started getting honest I tell them I can't buy the God stuff so some of the okay. people say that's okay John you know you uh-huh. just keep coming back and then yeah. there'd be other that I was called the atheist asshole and I figure well by this time I found out I'm just an agnostic I don't know whether okay. there is a God or isn't and today I don't give right. a shit don't care. I yeah. really don't give a shit today <laughs> and, and, and and I'm really grateful for that because I don't want what yeah. they got. Right. They get guilty and they're controlled and everything else yeah. uh, by what they believe. And I, I'm not controlled by what I believe or don't believe now. See, yeah. I feel more freer than they do. I can do things that they feel guilty over and I don't have to feel guilty. So in those meetings, um, those AA meetings, when you started um getting defiant and speaking out and being honest. Did they pray in those meetings and did you join them? How how'd you deal with that? If they, if well, they pray, when, I don't know. When I started, they didn't even hold hands. They just said they the didn't. serenity prayer. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't like that, but I started saying that because it's like a format that they have. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm trying to desperately, I had desperation go for me like you wouldn't believe. And sure. I was, trying everything just not to drink and the stuff stuff they're telling me i say boy if i have to believe in god i'm screwed i'll never make this Uh 
And because uh, some of them were telling me that, and they're telling me I'm going to get drunk if I don't have God in my program. I'm going to mm-hmm. get drunk if I don't work the steps in, in a row. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't been my experience. Uh, I got to the point I had eight months of sobriety, and I hated everybody in there because they bugging the shit out of me and telling <laughs> me I'm going to get drunk if I don't see things the way they do, or yeah. like the big book says. And I'm telling them, take the big book and stick it up your ass and take your God and stick it up your ass. And I says, I'm not drinking, and that's what I came for, and I'm, you know, that's all I'm going right. to do. I'll go to because I knew while I was going to meetings, I wasn't drinking. But what I was hearing, I was triggering off things from my childhood and shit, you know, that I right. completely forgot about and stuff. And somebody had mentioned, I think it was my first sponsor, that we relived the past in my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening because everything that I was experiencing bring me back to childhood again. Yeah. But the old timers, the grouchy bastards, I couldn't <laughs> stand them because... Uh, you know, they're pound fisting and shit, and some of them probably right. colonels and generals and shit from the service and stuff. And this is the kind of shit I'm getting in AA from these old timers. I hated them with a passion. And those old timers would have been like the original AA guys, right, from the 1940s? Probably some of them. Yeah. But uh, I got down 65, so I, did, I, I know a, a few of them used to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard their names in the book and stuff, but uh, yeah. uh, I, I can't think of their names right now. But as, as yeah. I go along, uh, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's just like the doctor's, uh, there's a doctor's story in the book. And uh, uh, Frank, uh, Frank got the doctor. They, they had the doctor's story in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the hell was it? Uh, I, I knew him. Yeah. Was the Friday Night Men Stag, I used to go to Frank O. In the book, it's Frank O. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, his name is O'Rourke. He's passed away now. Yeah. But, but he was a lawyer, and there was another lawyer, Phil Petty. He's passed away. They yeah. used to go to Friday Night Men Stag, and they talked uh-huh. so nice that I really liked the way they talked. Okay. And because uh, they explained things a little bit better, but they were still believers, so I didn't trust them. Right. Okay. But, but uh, they were at the Friday Night Men Stag, and, and Frank's the one that got uh, the doctor in the program. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Paul, I think it was. And, so uh, you were going to meetings at the Anaheim Club, being honest about not liking God, and you were having some people gave you a hard time, some people didn't. Oh, yeah. I almost so, got this fight with a preacher and another alcoholic across the street where we parked. Yep. And you but, also said that um, you guys weren't holding hands at the time when you prayed, just did the, the, the serenity prayer. And yeah. also, John, when I was first talking to you, when I first met you, you told me that it wasn't so, they weren't so big into the steps back then that it was mainly the 12 step. They all wanted to go down. And work and answering the phones is that is that kind of how it was? Well, no, I'd, I'd go down to Anaheim Club and they'd get a lot of phone calls at okay. the club mm-hmm. that somebody needs help. Okay. So they'd yell out, "Anybody want to go on a twelve-step call?" See, yep. And everybody was handing it to me. Oh, really? And it got to the point where I didn't want to go down to the club because every time I go down there, I lose my spot and my parking spot when the meeting's ready to start. Yeah. So they knew that I'd be going, and I, the only reason why I was going, I didn't want to feel guilty. Right. You see, then I started resenting them. If they're answering the phone, why the hell don't they go on a 12-step call? But they would send you, and you would go? Yeah, yes, yes. And I'd okay. go all over the place, and I'd get lost sometimes. Yeah. You know, they'd send me to Long Beach uh, and... I'd get lost. Uh, then sometimes so I'd what would some... you do, John, when you went out on a 12-step call? What would you do? I'd just, uh, if it's a hotel room or whatever, it's always different. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're supposed to go with somebody because they said if you have any problems, at least you got another person to help you handle it. Right. That's what they always but told me. I, I didn't like a lot of that because I had to listen to their baloney. And what they're telling the person, if they're a believer, I couldn't buy it anyway. So I want them to see my side. You yeah. don't have to buy the God stuff. You know, uh, you don't drink, you keep coming back and you work with others. Yeah. And there's, there's one one place there, my sponsor, I went with my sponsor and he told the guy what he had to tell him. Then he told me, tell him, John, how you staying sober? And I told him, I'm not drinking right now. Okay. So that's the only thing I knew that was keeping me sober. I didn't like yeah. the program. I didn't like uh, people in it because they were bugging me all the time about this God uh-huh. stuff. Yeah, and my sponsor so it's funny, they, they, it's funny they sent you on all those twelve-step calls when you were the one that did that was telling them that you didn't believe in God. Yeah, well, you see, this is when I see, you know, they they pass the buck. You really can't trust another alcoholic. Count on them. Uh-huh. Yeah. I learned that through the years. <laughs> they mean well, but they don't come through. Just like a lot of times, I mean well, and I don't yeah. come through. You know. Yeah. So 
when when other alcoholics tell me they'll meet me someplace or this or that, I I figure, well, okay, if it happens, okay, fine. But if it don't, so I'm not going to get a resentment from it. See, because I bet you all those twelve step calls that helped you stay sober. That's exactly what it was doing. Yeah. And uh, see this, and now later on down the road, as they started getting into the book more, uh-huh. uh, this is when I had the problems because now you get a sponsor, get somebody who's got a working knowledge of the big book, and that just drives me up a wall. That's interesting. So you, you, see, you started the, off, you were just doing the 12-step calls, and now all of a sudden they're all getting into the book. Yeah, and and the, by this time they're holding hands now. Okay, great. Okay, so they're holding hands and praying, and they're reading the big book. Yeah, and I'm there. I'm holding hands, and if it was a young girl, I'd squeeze it sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I'd go home to that bitch that I'm married to, because I couldn't stand her, and she's pulling that Al-Anon stuff on me. Right. So I get the way you're comfortable, you know. I'd want to get down. I I, I was trying to save my money to get enough money to buy a gun and get down and kill all those sick Al-Anons, teaching yeah. my wife all that sick shit. And it, it was a real bad first year for me. Oh, yeah. And then okay. when I get into I my second year, it got much worse. Yeah. People expected stuff out of me, and all I could do is not drink and go to meetings. Yes. I didn't have no time for my family. Screw them. And yep. without realizing it, one day I started experiencing, I wish something drastic would happen to these goddamn kids and this wife so I'd be free so I can go back and get my first wife back because uh-huh. that's the one I was in love with. I married right. this one in kind of loneliness, and it, it never happened, you see. Uh, so I, I, was, I was stuck with this one. Uh, I used to lay in bed and sob and cry. Really heavy tears, man, you know? Yeah. It, it, wow. it, if I could just get rid of this damn family, I, I'd be free uh-huh. and I can go back and get my first wife back. It yeah. never entered my mind that she probably wouldn't want me back anyway. Right. And I'm out here in California and now she's in Florida somewhere. And uh, so we moved from upstate to Florida. So I lost mm-hmm. contact with my daughter. And then one day I got a letter in the mail from my daughter. She said, I don't care whether you're alcoholic or not. You're still my father. And I broke down and started crying uh, for the first time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And I'd go to conventions and I'd hear women about meeting their kids and watching them go through. You graduate from high school and college. And, and I missed all that stuff with my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'd get choked up. And uh, I remember one time, like it was yesterday, I got in the hospitality room. I had to walk out of there. It, it, it was a woman's uh, uh, Alan on uh, dinner at the time. And I broke down mm-hmm. out in the, com- uh, in the, oh, I'm getting bald up here. Uh, I uh, The hospitality room, I walked out into the hospitality room because I was getting too emotional. Mm-hmm. And and uh, this one lady I know, she seen me and she she, she bought this book, came to believe. Mm-hmm. And, oh shit! These people think I'm 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 <laughs> this power greater myself has took over me and mm-hmm. and I'm finding God now and shit. You know, the came to believe book. I mm-hmm. can't stand that sucker. Yeah. And there was a time when they had that black book, uh, the 24-hour-a-day oh, yeah. book. Oh, yeah. I remember I that heard book. Some, I heard so much about that. Uh, somebody bought one for me one time, and I said, it's, I, 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 I couldn't stand that. That's worse than anything. Yeah, that was almost like the Bible. Yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. you know? Yeah. And all these yeah. people, uh, just because I break down once in a while, they, they think I'm having a spiritual experience. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like anything good happens, it's a God shot. Yeah. You know, Plus they saw you staying sober. And a lot of those people didn't think you could stay sober without God, but you're staying sober yeah. anyway. I, when I had my agnostic meeting going, which I stopped because after several years, they quit coming to it. Okay. You know, and, and then when I stopped it, they say, hey, I got somebody from Connecticut came there. And I said, well, I got an SOS meeting. Now I changed it to that because nobody's coming for the agnostic meeting. And they were agnostic from Ohio someplace. And so it, it was a husband and wife thing. So we had a nice little talk there and stuff. And I, I told him what was what. And uh, and I told him there's a few meetings they can go to and stuff that was close by because they were in some hotel room. So you, just, I know that you had you had a hard time in the beginning with the, with the people giving you a hard time. But after a while, did they... You, you you got accepted, I guess, by the people in AA. Didn't they, they gave you a nickname or something? They called you. Were you called they spiritual called me John? Spiritual John. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty close at the same time. I don't know which one came first. Uh-huh. The Friday night men stag because I used to tell them where to take the garden stick it. Right. Uh, and this one guy, uh, I used to belong to the old running, the old Fox running club from that group. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one guy, 
that was the president of the club, he, he nicknamed me Spiritual John because I was always pissing okay. him on about the God stuff. And uh, then I'd gone to Indian trolley meetings. That was a good, nice, big, good, strong group. But most uh-huh. of them are dead now, so it's just a small group now. But uh, they they nicknamed me uh, Spiritual John about the same time. I don't know which one uh-huh. came first. Okay. And because uh, I, I used to go up to the podium there. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you got to be there at least a year before they let you get up to the podium. And uh, I get up to the podium and I told them where to take their God and stick it and stuff too. So they started calling me Spiritual John, you know. Okay. Uh, the anger was so great. I didn't give a shit if somebody kicked the shit out of me or whatever. Right. See, because they, uh, see, I didn't know I had the God problem really like as bad as it was. And, until I got uh-huh. to AA, and the longer yeah. I stayed sober, the more it started coming up. And the so, what's the and, um, what's the doorknob story? Did did you put the did you start wearing the doorknob, or did someone give that to well, you? Well, uh, I started wearing a doorknob, a half mm-hmm. of one. Okay. Uh, and to get even with the old timers, because they say if you can't buy the God stuff, make it a doorknob, make it a right. light bulb. So I got a uh-huh. light bulb at a trick store. So when your ring touches it, it lights up. Okay. I said, "There's my goddamn higher power, the light bulb." Uh-huh. See, uh-huh. and then later on down the years, you know, they kept saying, make it a doorknob if you can't go for the God stuff. And I'm telling uh-huh. myself, how stupid is I know they mean God, <laughs> you know, all that shit. Right. So right. I started wearing a doorknob with a yellow ribbon tied around my neck. And they said, what's that? I, I put HP on the doorknob. So, <laughs> and so to get even with the old timers, you know, right. I right. know what the hell they meant. They meant this God shit. Yeah. So, uh, I, I started wearing it at the conventions too. Uh-huh. And this really got some people going. And so what happened, a friend of mine, he's, he's a, ended up to be a cross-dresser now. Uh-huh. I haven't seen him for years. Yeah. But he was into antiques and stuff. Uh-huh. And then one day, I forget what birthday it was. It was AA birthday, but I forget what year. And he brought this doorknob over. He says, this is happy birthday for you. Uh-huh. And I said, God, that's terrific. You know, he had a, a wooden links. I'll show mm-hmm. you a picture of it. I got it in my garage right now because okay. the guy sold the archives. He wanted it because uh-huh. I used to wear it at conventions and stuff, and everybody would be looking. You know, uh-huh. My defiance is what was giving me the courage to do this shit. Because yeah. uh, to get the courage before, I'd have to have booze in me. Now yeah. I'm able to do things that I don't have booze, uh-huh. and uh, that's why I figured defiance became my greatest asset because I was able to get up to the podium and tell them off, and this way I was starting to be able to talk at the podium and stuff instead of my legs shaking and being scared, you know? So when did you first start learning about the agnostic meetings? And you eventually started one, but when did you first learn that there were agnostic AA meetings? Okay, I was down the Anaheim Club one time, and I seen that it was a sober times. They had some newspapers down there, but then sober times. And once mm-hmm. in a while, I'd bring one home and I started reading it. And then it said, SOS, Secular mm-hmm. Organization for Sobriety. Right. And it says, son of a bitch, I'm going to call and find out about that. So I made the call. I got hooked up with this guy. He had SOS meetings uh, in uh, those hospitals. I forget, mm-hmm. Kaiser Hospital things. Mm-hmm. They had a meeting there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to it and I met this guy, John. He was the secretary of the meeting. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I started going there every week and then we got to talking. He said, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some agnostic meetings down in LA. He says, there's about four of them. I says, oh yeah, I didn't wow. know that. So I says, he says, if you want to go, I'll take you sometime. So he, he took me to, at different times, he took me to different ones there. Uh-huh. And then he took me to this one. What's that guy, uh, Charlie Pollock? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Charlie yeah, T. I can't remember. I don't know how to Yeah, but I didn't know him at the time. I did, yeah, Polacek. I didn't know him at the time, and I've only been to those meetings maybe once or twice, mm-hmm. so I really didn't know who was who and what was what. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one meeting, I asked the guy, "Can I have the format? I want to start one in Orange County." Mm-hmm. He says, "Yeah." He sent it to me in the mail, and I changed it a little bit, and I started my agnostic meetings because there's a lot of people around here that felt like I did, yeah. and they kept on my back. When are you going to start that agnostic meeting, John? When are you going to start it? And when was it that you started that? What what year uh, do you remember? I, I think 1984. 84. Okay. It was 84 or 94. Now, I, I forget okay. which one. Okay. Uh, I got right. a picture around here someplace because my wife made a cake. The agnostic mm-hmm. meeting's the first one. It started in August. Okay. And uh, several years later, uh, it, 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 we had about 10 or 12 people. Uh-huh. And then it got down to about seven. Okay. And then it got less and less. But yeah. 
before I ended it, my wife told me I'd come home from work one day. And my wife says, there's a guy that's been walking up and down the street looking at our house. Uh-huh. And I probably said, it's probably some weirdo. I don't know. Maybe he's wondering about the meeting, maybe. Because mm-hmm. it was on Monday night. And that's when I had the meeting. And uh, maybe maybe he's looking for the meeting, and, you know. What house it is. And then she said he came to the door and he asked if there was a meeting here. And she says, Yeah, tonight. He says, Okay, I'll be back. So she was relating this to me when I get home. And when I got the the meeting getting ready, uh, this guy walks in and he's got a cake, Mm. a little round cake, and he introduced himself. I says, I'm John. And I says, "Uh, You know, just maybe a few people might be here now because, you know, the slowing down and coming. So I had him lead the meeting mm-hmm. and I don't remember how he led it and stuff because it's a while mm-hmm. back. And this this was uh, Charlie Polachek or whatever it was. And it was. The, and the, the, the cake he brought was for his birthday. He huh. celebrated his 25th birthday in my garage at the agnostic meeting. How about that? And the only remembrance I have, I didn't even know he moved to Texas or whatever because uh-huh. I didn't know him that well. I, that's probably the second time I ever met him. Yeah. But a question I had for him because he had some time he's celebrating his 25 years then i think i had a few more years more than that uh-huh. at the time but i i tell him one of my fears is that some of my friends they like to heckle me sometimes and i said you'll ever get a group and come over here once start praying stuff he says well let him do it let him pray and then he says the following week you take a group conscience and, the, and then you stop praying and it made it sound so simple yeah that it wasn't a problem to me no more and i thanked him an awful <laughs> lot for his wisdom you know right I had an answer now. Yeah. Uh, It's just, uh, you know, with my anger and stuff, I was fighting these people all these years. Uh And I always wanted to start something on my own without this God stuff, all this religious shit, because it kept getting worse and worse. And it's really bad now, much worse. But I didn't know how. I didn't have the smarts. Right. And now uh, I, uh, let's see, I'm getting balled up against you now. Uh (laughs) The guy that took me to those meetings. He went and got drunk again mm-hmm. after 10 years of sobriety. And uh, when the, nobody was coming, I was sitting here by myself week after week. Once in a while, one person would show up. And mm-hmm. so I said, I'm going to have to give it up because now I was getting into this SOS, you know, and going to some of their meetings. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very small and there's only a few people at each one. Yeah. And I met the founder and stuff. And Chris, he's a pretty nice guy. But yeah. Uh, he pulled out of AA three years of sobriety, and he's supposed to have been a writer. So he kept going around getting all kinds of information and then writing some books of his own. Right. So okay. uh, I, I got to know him and stuff. I didn't want to pull away from AA because I was feeling guilty if I did. Right. But, but I couldn't stand it, and I started meeting a lot of friends that I was getting along with. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, my super sensitivity started leaving me, and so I started joking around. I, I see one now every time I go to Friday night, uh-huh. uh, Bray of Menstag, uh, this guy sees me. He gives me the sign of the cross. So I <laughs> give him a sign of the cross upside down, see? <laughs> and I, I love the guy, you know, so it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it's a fun thing. They kid me, I kid them, and they keep looking at me to see if my le- lips are moving when they're holding hands, saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. I tell them, you know, that's against the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. They said, well, we can run the meeting any way we see fit. And now I, I, now I hear that they, they're doing the same thing at the, every five years, the AA meeting that AA puts yeah. on, they're doing the same thing now. And, yeah, they're not supposed to be doing that. I think that, I think they didn't do it the last one. I, I know. I, I I never heard of them doing it before, but they said they did it the last couple of times. Yeah. So you see, their whole thing is headed towards religion, and I think yeah. it already was. That's what I was picking up on. That's religious. So said, no, you were real. You were real happy when the when you heard about WAF. Oh God, I, I got choked up when I was at the convention. I only went for the one day, and uh, there was one guy there. I can't. Uh, he's got a B in his name. I can't remember what it is, but. Okay. Okay. He's pretty known around Southern California. Can I, I forget whether it's Ireland or England where it come from? Oh, I think I know who you're talking about uh, an Irish guy. I remember him. Uh, Billy 
uh, Nicky B, I think it was. Okay, yep, I remember him. I took a picture with him at the convention because I've heard, uh-huh. I've never heard him speak, but I've heard a lot about him yeah. from different people there. So I had a picture taken with him mm-hmm. and uh, at the convention there. And I got mm-hmm. this little round coin thing. It looks like a brass coin thing from the convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They said I got the last one. <laughs> That's nice. And I still got it in my drawer and I showed him. I said, look at this here, watch, man. I mean, it had... One A in it then. Yeah, that's right. And yep. uh, so I'm showing it. They're all laughing at me because I'm going to go to a, a convention, right? Uh-huh. Uh, agnostic convention. Uh-huh. And they're going to have a minister speaking in the church. But they were putting me down and kidding me. And these people that's doing it are friends of mine. And uh-huh. I really like them. Uh, but so we, we kid each other back and forth. I said, it's okay. This is the beginning. Something's happening here. So and were you there that day when Ward Ewing talked? When you, you were doing day? what? Were you there on the day that the minister Minister talk when Ward Ewing talked? I, I was on the last day I got I got The there. last day. Okay. Okay. I think that was a Saturday. I'm not sure because I couldn't make the whole three of them kind of my wife. When I made it, I, I, I'd get choked up a lot. So I had to be by myself. And I, I felt so good inside that, geez, after all these years, I'm getting choked up now just talking I'm about sorry. it. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, that somebody's finally come up with something that I can identify with now. You know what I mean? I said, after all these years, you know, and... uh did you meet Dorothy there at the convention? Yes, I met Dorothy because I, I called her up a couple of times. And uh-huh. this this atheist that goes to my SOS meeting, he called her up and he got pissed off at her. Oh, really? He's, when he heard that, you know, he was interested in guns. Uh-huh. But when he heard that it was a minister in the church, uh-huh. he got real irate. And Dorothy took to, a lot of hell for that. Yeah, Dorothy I know got, her. Yeah. I know yeah. her. Yeah. So this is why I got these cups made up. A friend of mine's into that. He he does that for conventions and shit for for years, different things. Uh-huh. But I don't. I, I know him for a lot of years, but I don't know him that well. So what I did is I I went down to see him and I got this uh you know wafts the W A A F T. Uh-huh. I got that in the red. I told him I want to make a cup. So uh, I told him I like to get about twenty five of. Uh-huh. Can you make that many for me? He says, Well, I'll make the twenty four because it, it you know they do it by so many. Yeah. Uh, so it cost me about two hundred and twenty nine dollars or something. Oh wow. Tax. But so money, uh. I just happened to have the money around in my little thing I saved to you know, put my quarters and stuff away and stuff. So I had enough to cover it. I sure and, like the buttons that you made, the walk well, central button. This is the same thing that's on the cup now. Uh-huh. The buttons that I sent you, that, that's in red too, the wafts, right? Yep. And the saying that's underneath it, well, that's on the cup with the AA emblem also. Well, I'm going to wear the WAF Central um, button to the convention in Austin, and I'm going to give them to all of the people that work for WAF Central and all the people that work at um, WAF, um, the IAC, the, the convention. Okay, now, so that, I'm, I'm not sure happen. whether I can make the convention or not, but I'll tell you what I'll do. Okay. I have these 24 cups. Uh-huh. Now, I'll I'll send you a few at a time so, so they don't break then. Because okay. I, don't, I don't know all the people that's involved, but you probably okay. do. Uh-huh. Okay. I want to make sure that, uh, what's your name? Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy. But why don't I send you the stuff? And I know it's a hassle for you. You probably got stuff you got to take there. Not a hassle. Stuff. Not a problem at all. Okay. So if, if I get this shipped to you, then you can distribute it to the people that started I this and that you know that needs it because I don't know. Them. I absolutely will. I absolutely will because I'll drive. I'm going to drive down to Austin. It's not too bad of a drive from Kansas City, and I'll drive down there and I'll bring the cups down there and give them to those people. Okay, and uh, I, I guess there's some out here too with Dorothy and them, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. Dorothy and Pam. See, I'm going to I'm going to try to make that thing, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. But I'm I want to get set up so I can, and I like because to your do wife. It. You, you yeah. need to take care of your wife. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's really bad off. And that's understandable, and I'm glad that you can be there for her. Yeah, and thanks. That's what I say. Thanks to AA, I'm sober, and, and I can you know do stuff like this now, which yeah. makes me feel good inside that I'm sober. Thanks to AA. Yep. You see, but I have so many resentments inside for AA for the shit that I'm hearing there. 
Right. And the way it's changing now, it's getting worse. So when I go to a convention, I walk around looking at the girls because uh, I, I go into those meeting rooms. I can't stand the shit that they talk about. You know, everything is a God thing. Everything that happens, is, it must be a God thing and this or that. And, uh, yeah, my- well, it has gotten worse. But I think that with um, the WAF Central and WAF um, IAC and all of these meetings starting up, it'll help change things. Oh, I, I feel like it is already, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a couple of, I tell everybody, I said, get on the, I'm not that good on the computer. I said, but get on the computer and look on the WAFs, AA, mm-hmm. and that'll give you all the information and if you want. I printed out a bunch of those uh, for the convention. Mm-hmm. I, I, I printed them out in color because they look better in color. So I'm passing them out different meetings and I think some of them might throw them away. I don't know, but, but I keep giving them different meetings where I trust the guys. So that's my little way of thanking you people for putting something like this on. Now I, I can die in peace that finally got something with people I can identify with, you know? And we owe you a big debt of gratitude because you were there fighting the fight for all those years. And you started that group in Orange County back in 1980-something or 1990-something. So you're yeah. a pioneer. You're when a pioneer, I, When I find that picture, I'll know what year it was. I, it might be okay. 94. Yeah. But, uh, and if it wasn't for the guy that had the SOS meeting uh, showing me around in L.A. because he knew how to get around. He was a, like a mosquito guy. Uh-huh. The ones that go around doing that kind of stuff. So yeah. he knew his way around L.A. And he took me down there and to the different uh, agnostic meetings. And that's how I started mine in Orange County. Probably the only one in Orange County at the time. But I gave it up. But now I got another thing going in my mind. Good I for cut, you. I'm going to cut down the SOS meeting to one hour. Uh-huh. Make it from 6 to 7. And uh-huh. then from 7.30 to nine we're going to have a WAFS meeting okay if you need me to send you anything i i can send you you want me just to mail you the um the format and stuff like that uh uh that would for the WAFS. Mm-hmm. That would be terrific. Okay, I'll do that. Because I, I, I'm, not that, I'm not that smart, you know, and I forget a lot because I'm 86 now. And because uh, that's an excuse. I never was smart to begin with. I was never smart either, and I'm still not, but I can give up. <laughs> well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program, and we thank you very much for listening.